Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Welcome to Yale University Healthcasts brought to you by Yale Health. The future of care is here. Dr. Pilato, we're here to talk about HIV. Can you tell me a little bit about HIV, whether or not it's still a problem, and how concerned should people be about it? It's really, really important to talk about HIV, and I'm so glad that you brought that question up, Adam. And I'll say personally that as a doctor here at Yale for the past 23 years, I'm concerned about HIV as something that's been very important to me, and especially how that's affected many of the young men and women that I've taken care of through all these years. And even though we used to hear a lot more about HIV, it seems, back in the 1980s and 1990s, um, it's very important to point out that HIV is still a very serious problem. It's still with us um, all the time. It's still definitely a risk for anybody who is a human being living in our world. And we know that at least across the whole world, there still are perhaps 35 million or more people living with HIV. And in the United States, there are many tens of thousands of new cases each year of HIV. We do know that HIV often occurs in populations that are a little bit more vulnerable. So we know that HIV occurs in the U.S., for example, often in people who are living in larger cities, in the inner city, often in populations like people of color, so African American, Latino, um, Native American, and Asian American populations. And we know that the rates are actually going up again in young adults who are um, men who have sex with men, gay or bisexual men, but also men who may not necessarily apply that label to themselves um, and may have thought of themselves always as having been a straight man, but sometimes have intimate physical contact with other men. And we know that HIV rates have started to go up in all of those communities, and it's a real concern for us. So the answer is that HIV is definitely still present. Um, there are undergraduate and graduate students at Yale living with HIV, as well as faculty and staff, our friends, our workers, our colleagues, our family members. Um, HIV is still definitely a reality. I know that most folks, when they think about STI, or as you'd mentioned, known formally as STDs, Think about getting tested when they've got symptoms. Something comes up they haven't seen before, and they're concerned about it. You've mentioned before that it's important to get tested for HIV even if you don't have symptoms. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yes, that's important to know. When a person gets exposed to HIV, and perhaps we'll have a, a chance to talk about how that might happen in a minute, um, when a person is exposed to the virus that causes HIV, human immunodeficiency virus, um, oftentimes that person may not actually become sick from that at first at all. He or she may not have any symptoms at all. Um, or the person may have a very mild flu-like illness a few weeks after being exposed to that virus, which is to say that he or she might feel a little bit of muscle achiness, a low-grade fever, a bit of a cough, maybe runny nose, a mild rash, and oftentimes when persons have those symptoms, they assume that they just have a mild flu or cold, and they don't even necessarily come in to see their doctor or their nurse practitioner or PA. And so people may be exposed to the virus and not have any idea that they have it. 
the virus then really becomes very quiet in our body, even though it is actually multiplying and growing tremendously. And a person may have HIV for years, maybe 10 or more years, before the person begins to show the first actual signs of HIV. During that time, a person quite innocently may not know that he or she has HIV and then could actually be spreading it to the people that they love or that they have sex with and that they are intimate with and care about. Um, And so for that reason, it's so important at least to be able to know whether a person has HIV. Also, I think it's so important to know as early as we can that a person may have HIV because then we can offer um, very important and very good treatment to the person, which may actually really help to prolong his or her life and prevent many of the possible really difficult health consequences that come about from having HIV. So I really strongly recommend that people think about getting tested for HIV um, whenever they might be entering a new relationship with a new partner, um, or if they have a relationship that's relatively open and they have other partners in the relationship, or there's an agreement that you can see other people in your relationship. Some people have a more flexible relationship in that way or might see several different people at one time. Some people have serial relationships. By that, we mean they have short uh, physical or sexual relationships that last for a relatively short time, like a few weeks or a few months, um, and then go from one partner to the next. Um, And in that case, I think it is important also to get tested. Um, A person is at risk for HIV depending on the number of partners that he or she has had over a period of time. Um, and also sort of what activities you've engaged in with that partner that might put you at risk. All excellent information, Dr. Prelato. Um, a lot of folks have, are familiar with both, term, both the terms HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. Could you talk for a moment about what exactly HIV is, the difference between HIV and AIDS, and how HIV can become AIDS? Sure. Uh, HIV really refers, to, as I said, to the virus that causes the illness, human immunophobia. Uh, deficiency virus. And so we will say that a person is HIV infected when they first are exposed to the virus. Um, And as we said, sometimes that virus lies relatively quietly in the body for several years or even a decade or more. And during that time, the person is said to be just HIV infected. AIDS is really defined by several specific things. A person is diagnosed as having AIDS when one of the important measurements of the immune system, which is called the T-cell count. Um, When that measurement of our white blood cells that help to fight off infection, the T-cells, drops below a critical number, which happens to be 200, that is one of the definitions of AIDS. Um, And again, the person may not have any symptoms, but what we know is that when a person's immune system is gradually being eroded and damaged and, and uh, hurt over time, the T-cell count slowly starts to drop from a normal number of perhaps 700 or 500 down towards the range of 300 or 200. When it starts to reach the range of about 200, the body is much impaired and unable to fight off other infections that come along with the HIV. And so then a person may begin to develop signs and symptoms that their body is beginning to get sicker and fail in some ways. 
Well, that's the question that I would have. Yeah. These are all um, parameters that we as clinicians would have to help yes. measure and assess when we might begin treatment or when someone has a clinical definition of AIDS versus just HIV infection. I'm sure that a lot of the listeners would like to know exactly what type of symptoms they may be experiencing if they have an undiagnosed case of HIV that is progressing. Sure. Yes. I was going to say the the symptoms that might then start to happen as a person begins to actually develop AIDS include things like unexplained weight loss, um, fevers, and uh, muscle achiness. Oftentimes people get loose stool or diarrhea. And then what will really happen most of all is that other infections can occur suddenly that are very unexpected. And these include um, things like tuberculosis in, in an otherwise healthy, what seemed like an otherwise healthy person, certain cancers that can occur in the bloodstream. Some of these are called lymphomas or another type called a Kaposi sarcoma. Um, and other infections including something called PCP pneumonia, which is an infection of the lungs that causes a person to become very sick with fever and shortness of breath and um, have difficulty with breathing. Um, people sometimes also develop skin rashes that don't get better. Um, and when a person comes with a host of those symptoms, including weight loss and fevers and just getting frequent infections, it certainly would be a concern for a doctor like myself and would recommend that that person get tested for HIV virus to see whether or not they might have AIDS. So we've talked about what this disease can manifest or how this disease can manifest in the early, in the early stages as well as in the later stages. Mm -hmm. We've talked about some of the tests or the test that um, the blood test that we can get to evaluate it from a clinical standpoint. What about treatments for HIV and or AIDS? Mm -hmm. Yes, the great news in many ways is that the treatments for HIV have really improved over the course of the last 20 years. Um, initially, we had really no medication to treat HIV, and patients often saw this as um, almost really a death sentence, to use a term that I, really makes me feel sad to, to say. Um, and that is not the case any longer, for sure. And patients now can look forward to um, a whole range of medications that might be very successful at helping to promote their immune system and to hold off all the negative effects that can come from living with HIV over the years. So we have a host of different medications. Some of, uh, some of the um, listeners may have heard of some of these, AZT um, and other medications in that category. Those are called NRTIs, or Nucleoside Reverse Transcriptase Inhibitor medications. There's also a large group called Protease Inhibitors. Many people have heard of those. Um, they're a group of medications also that are very helpful at um, preventing HIV from reproducing and growing inside the white blood cells of our body and the other cells of our body. Um, and we even have some newer categories of medications, including one called an integrase inhibitor um, that's been out for the last few years. It's very hopeful at really helping to give people much greater chance at a, a long and healthy life, much more so than used to be possible in the past. That's encouraging news. Yes. I know that a lot of folks who may be listening to this netcast are now wondering how they could get tested. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the questions, or I guess one of the main questions that comes along with HIV testing is the privacy issue. And could you speak to both of those? Uh, sure, points? I'd be glad to. 
Testing for HIV is very easy. Uh, usually it requires a very simple blood test that can be ordered by a person's doctor or nurse practitioner or PA. Um, and uh, the test usually only takes a day or two to come back. Um, it's what we call an antibody test. Um, it happens to be actually a very reliable test for HIV. Um, so it's very rare to have a test that um, is not accurate. Um, the pr only problem with the testing for the HIV uh, antibody is that it does sometimes take a few weeks or even up to a few months before that test will uh, detect the presence of the HIV in a person's bloodstream. And so if a person was very recently exposed to the HIV virus from a partner of theirs, then um, that, that test might not show it right away. So sometimes we try to counsel patients about when was the last time that they were with a partner, when was the last time that they might have been exposed to the HIV virus, you know, perhaps from the sexual contact ways that I described. Um, perhaps it's important for me as an aside, Adam, just to point out that um, sexual contact is not the only way that a person can get HIV virus, and that one of the other ways that um, happens very frequently, especially in our New Haven community, is through IV needle sharing from, uh, from uh, using uh, needles to take drugs to get high. Um, the important thing is always, always in using a clean needle for, for persons who do use uh, drugs in that way, um, and not to share the needle with another person whose blood might get into the, um, the central part of the needle and then inadvertently inject it into a person's body. So let me point out that sexual contact and needle sharing are two ways that HIV can be transmitted. It can also be transmitted from a mother to an infant at the time of birth, but that very rarely happens nowadays because if we know in advance from testing that a mom is carrying HIV, we can give her very powerful and active medications right at the time of the delivery of her baby, and we can really literally prevent the transmission of the virus to her baby. So that's really one way in which we've made a lot of progress. Now that was an aside about the different ways that a person could get HIV, but we'll talk again about testing that simple blood test is available. In some places, the test can even be done by a, a swab of the inside of the cheek. Although we don't usually prefer that method, we feel that the blood test is just a little bit more accurate um, method in terms of getting a really reliable result. Um, and that can really be done at any of the labs that are around town. And it's just as easy. Yeah, it is just as easy, really. And so, again, strongly encourage people to get tested. And Patients sometimes ask me how often should they be tested. Um, and I think, you know, again, that depends on your relationship or your relationships, the number of people you're with, how often you have different partners. Um, but it's not unreasonable for a person to think about getting an HIV test each time he or she begins a new relationship with a new partner. Um, or after having had uh, any uh, unprotected exposure to another person's blood or bodily fluids. Um, and some of my patients just come once a year or sometimes twice a year and just have HIV testing done on a routine basis, and that's certainly reasonable to do. How is the confidentiality issue managed at your facility? We're very uh, careful about that, as with all healthcare information. Um, uh, we protect our patients' confidentiality, and that means that a patient's medical information, including test results like an HIV test, 
cannot be released to anyone without the patient's permission. That information is kept on the patient's medical record so that other persons who also work in that facility could access that information if they needed to for the care of that patient. But they would not access that information on a routine basis and they would not be able to have um, have that information unless they were directly involved in the care of that patient. But there's no way that outside organizations like a dean or a master's office or a university organization or even a governmental organization or the federal government can get that information. Or unless, an insurance company, or, for instance. Or, yes, good good point, or an insurance company, or, uh, unless the, the, the patient gives permission for that to be released. Now, I should say that when an HIV test does come back positive, then there is an obligation by law in the state of Connecticut for me as the doctor to report to the state of Connecticut only that uh, a person in my care has tested positive for HIV. Um, and then the state uses that information only in order to provide a judgment about where resources need to be allocated in terms of medication availability and social worker availability and other, uh, let's say, prevention measures also. Um, but that information is not distributed or held, and, and that's also held in confidence by the state. But that's one case where the information is given to, to a state organization. Terrific. Well, I'd like to thank you for your time today, Dr. Prelato. Sure, my An pleasure. incredibly detailed discussion on a very important topic. Thank you. This has been a Yale University HealthCast, sponsored by Yale Health and the Office of Public Affairs. For more information on this and other health topics, visit our website, yalehealth.yale.edu.